Well, welcome back everybody again. Yes, you're listening to the Fat Paramotor Podcast. It's been a little bit of a while, but uh, I'm here and I'm here with the young whippersnapper again, Daniel Jones. Daniel, mate, how are you doing? I'm good, mate. Oh, it's great to be back on the old podcast and uh, hope we've got a good episode coming up for everyone, you know? It's been a little while, hasn't it? It's uh, It's been a while since we've done the podcast, but we did catch up recently. Where were we, Dan? Uh, we were at the uh, British Paramount Open Championships in Manston, Kent. British Open Paramount Championships, Manston, Kent 2023, and uh, guess who entered? <laughs> <laughs> we had a great time, didn't we? So um, we're going to have a quick discussion about this then. We, we're going to talk about our experience of the Paramount Championship. I think we've been a little bit vocal recently on the old socials and stuff promoting it a little bit and getting people involved but i wanted to talk about this today from an experiential point of view so daniel how was it for you well it's a whirlwind of experience and emotion i think really sean this year was um the third year that i entered into the open championship so um and i had a lot riding on it you know last year i won and uh, uh this year i could only go down in places so um yeah i think uh I've spent the last year really, really focused on it. And, um, yeah, come away uh, another winner for the second year in a row. So oh, really pleased with that. Congratulations, but... winner. <laughs> well, that's those are the differences between you and me entering. And I played a, a lot of thought on this because I was entering with nothing to lose at all. And... Uh, entering for the experience you are entering with everything to lose and i think that completely changes your perspective on your approach to the competition and and for me it was only ever going to be a a positive experience i'm sure you would find it positive anyway but to enter uh and to do quite badly when you were the champion last year that would have been that would have been a bit sour do you think would you would you agree with that you know what i've put a lot of um pressure on myself for for competition flying um you know i haven't actually flown for four years yet in about a month's time will mark the fourth anniversary of flying and i'd never really wanted to compete in the first place anyway when i found paramoring i just thought you know it's quite quite for the elite and you know you have to be really really skilled and years and years of experience um but actually when i first entered you know I, I fell in love with the competition and since then like i say put quite a lot of pressure on myself to to do well i am quite competitive um not in a really aggressive way but like it's actually what drives me to get better and i really really enjoy um the challenge it was a lot a lot of stress this year i think because you know winning it for the first year being quite new into it is you know, there's a lot of good pilots out there. There's a lot of good pilots out there, and you can't help but think, oh, they're on slightly better kit. They've got more years of experience. Um, you know, how how well am I going to do? And I think, you know, I've always kept in the back of my mind, I have to keep reminding myself that, that anything can happen in a competition. You just have to stack the odds in your favour, um, and then you stand in a good position to do well, really. Well, I, th- I think a great testament to that, you know, the fact you talked about, you know, you think it's uh, for elite people and that the competition is going to be massive, which it is because there are some extremely skilled and experienced pilots. But Adrian Southgate, it's his first entry. I think Adrian's only been flying a couple of years himself. Hmm. Flying his standard equipment, would, he just flies for pleasure at home, came 10th, number 10th yeah. in the championships out of... Well, there were 70 pilots. They weren't all in the uh, in the open foot launch class, but still to come 10th, that was amazing. Yeah, I had um, I had high hopes for Adrian. I put on a um, 
a snake task and a turn point hunt at, at Wingland where I'd normally fly and you know and I think he sort of did it out of a bit of sympathy because I'd put all this effort in but no no one was having a go <laughs> but you know he he took it in his stride and he, and he absolutely smashed it you know he, he got every hidden gate on the snake task he found all the turn points and you know just just watching him from from going from oh I feel sorry for Dan doing all this this stuff to actually he's entered and and done pretty damn well for himself on standard kit you know last year similar sort of situation really i i entered with everything as standard kit you know with a wing that was made in 2013 the wrc with a with a bulldog and a, and a 125 centimeter propeller on an atom you know the atoms a bloody great engine from Viterazzi and it proves that actually it's not always down to kit it's um, down to you know a good amount of training and pilot skill as well as um, a good sprinkle of luck in there as well so um, like I said a minute ago you know anything can happen in a competition you just have to stack those odds in your favours and a bit bit of focus time you could you could do well and yeah Adrian did blooming brilliantly yeah it was fantastic and anything can happen we'll talk about that in, in a bit but i wanted to talk about my experiences because i i set myself the challenge of entering this competition and uh, and i did that for a reason I, I think when you when you commit yourself to something then you've you've got to kind of do it and i committed myself on social media so last minute nerves i still had to go anyway i don't know how i got away with that on the videos <laughs> by telling people that um, that i decided to bottle out but i did want to experience it I, I i did want to get kind of um you know a grasp for what happened but i didn't put in a lot of prep work i did a lot of resting as you know but i did do a little bit of uh, of work on my spot landings um, and that was less to do probably with the competition but i had that in mind but also, I think it's it's a good skill to gain on the airfield. So prior to that, I mean, we, we tried to meet up, didn't we, a couple of times to, to do a few tasks. And, and our calendars never line up. I've got a quite mm. a heavy work schedule and stuff. But I didn't spend uh, uh, a lot of time myself. But what kind of work did you do as the existing champion, trying to hang on to his cup? What kind of prep work did you try and do in the weeks even days leading up to the championship. Uh, well, I can honestly say, Sean, that this, this year's championship started a year year ago. You know, like from the moment it finished, I was looking at scores, looking at what my improvement places were going to be, and I identified those, and they they were what I worked on. You know, and and one of them was like like yourself was the precision stuff because it's such a small short task where you can throw away a reasonable amount of points on. Um, and it's quite easy to practice, you know. I, I spend a lot of time at Wingland, well, especially over the last year, you know, just launching and landing, um, doing spot landings and, and skittle landings. And then also sort of focusing a bit more on like pure economy tasks and even just knowing your figures and stuff make you um, like a better pilot. So the more longer distance stuff you fly and you get those figures down, the more accurate your planning and, and calculations can be when it's um, at the competition and at the planning stage, you know. So... So yeah, I was really focused on those in the, <laughs> and I think I'll start this process a little bit earlier. But I um had my engine apart like it was literally the week before the competition anyway, just rebuilding it and and you know t taking the carbon out and just doing like a hundred hundred hour service. But I think really I need to do that a month in advance before that again, and then have you know two or three really good flights on it and um, make sure the kit's actually actually up and running because I left it quite last minute in the end, which could. <laughs> 
could have put me in a situation. <laughs> well, I was trying to trying to get ahead. There were several things as a new pilot that I kind of had to get grips with. I had a change of wing just before I entered the competition. I was initially going to be flying on the on the Apco F three. Uh, mm. And then I decided to to swap to the due date because I'd, I'd had some issues myself with the Apco F3 by probably due to to pilot skills, but I also think that the wing's wrong for my setup. But I had a swap, but I didn't even have any figures. And I did try before I, I went out to figure out things like speed with trims, speed, you know, uh, trimmed out, mm. get some ideas of fuel economy and those kind of things. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't do any of those. And I kind of figured out I'd figure it out as I was going along and give myself large safety margins. But that's from the mindset of somebody who's just going to enter it for the experience. But you guys out there to win, you need to know exactly what your numbers are, don't you? You need to know what your speeds are at different trim mm. levels, your fuel economy, etc. So, uh, had you spent the year figuring that out, or or is that something you already know? Well, actually, I had to redo um, pretty much all my calculations because I changed from the WRC that I was flying last year to the um, the Warp Two um, incredible glider. Um, it was a reasonable step from more of an intermediate glider to an advanced glider, um, but I've flown a lot of different things in the time and actually settled on that one with maybe a bigger size, so it's you know a little bit more forgiving. So yeah, essentially, you can you can get all your figures pretty much in an afternoon if you if you know exactly what you're doing. But I would advise if anyone's you know going to go to a competition or anything and wants to plan more longer cross countries, even you know it's a bit more general, would be to get your speeds for trims in, maybe mid trim as well, and then trim out, and then also speed bar if you've got it attached, you know, in a competition that speed bars is definitely a tool that you should you should have plugged into your wing um, and into your risers because. You never know specifically for declared time tasks and constant speed. If you fall behind on your, your planned times, then you need to catch up and that speed bar will actually give you a decent amount of, of extra capability to do that. So, yeah. yeah, doing that. And then economies really is just kind of, you, you can do it on the ground with a, with a testing rig, but more more easily done is doing it sort of in the air. You can weigh, weigh your machine on the way out and then do your flight at one trim setting for about an hour come back and then weigh your machine again and and the difference in weight will give you what your your fuel burn is so it's um it's things like that this is the difference you see between the championship winner and uh the championship loser <laughs> but um but i mean that's that's the competition mentality but i i think you know this is why i think this podcast is interesting because we've got the two diametric opposites here you've got me who's entered it for the experience, who was never really thinking that he was going to get anywhere near winning, and then the experience of somebody who's in it trying to defend their existing uh, championship. And I guess that kind of preparation, really important for you, is probably should have been more important for me. I think I spent more time concentrating on building my map board. That was also important too. And one of the things I did get to experience was how my map board worked for me. But it's even things like that, I think, that prior preparation, uh, building yourself a map board and trying to figure out something that, that works for you and then seeing how it works or it doesn't work when you're actually in the air or at the competition. 
I put a lot of time and effort into my map board, Daniel, even if you did knock my compass off. <laughs> I put that down to your dodgy uh, your dodgy Velcro, mate. I still think your map board needs like a hole cut in it for like a uh, coffee or something you can take with you. <laughs> <laughs> I did think about that. It would be perfect, wouldn't it? For it a, would, yeah. For a, for a Starbucks or something like that. <laughs> I liked your map board, though. It's, um, if, if I could have a map board that size, you know, I would do because you can see much, much more of, of your map. You know, you are a bit more flexible with a trike because you haven't got a run with a map board what you're saying about experience in the comp you know it's i think that's what the open's really about you know in in, in the uk is we've been trying to get more and more people in this year we've had oh it was it was signed up for 70 pilots i think it was ended up being about 65 which is you know the biggest it's ever ever been and um it just goes to show that you know the word's sort of getting out there now that people can come and have a go and, and actually it gives you a bit of purpose to your flying as well you know well that's what i found and i i really enjoyed it and what i found about it is you're absolutely right it gives you something to do because what i tend to do when when i fly around here is i just tend to bimble around and and not do anything particularly exciting at all and i'll be honest i've never been a cross-country flyer and honestly i find it boring and i'm the same with with aircraft because as a few of you know i i fly light aircraft as well and i always find it boring going from a to b so when you get to the other mm. place i sit there and i think oh my god this is two pound a minute <laughs> this is in my airplane two pound a minute i've got 15 minutes to my next waypoint, so there's uh, there's 30 quid uh, gone. And this is boring. I'm just sat here and flying over nothing particularly interesting. Hmm. And in an aeroplane, what I've always enjoyed is the circuit work, is the procedure, is doing things. And, uh, you know, that's that takeoff, landing, getting ready, uh, pre-landing checks, all that kind of stuff. So I tend to fly, when I fly, I tend to fly circuits. I enjoy that. Hmm. And I think it's the same with paramotors. It's like when I'm up in the air, Heading from A to B, I don't find that so interesting. The, the destination I'm probably looking forward to because there's something at the destination that I want to see mm. or somebody I want to meet. But I don't find that interesting. But what I found with doing the tasks is that now I'm flying, I'm not just going from A to B. I've got something to do while I'm in the air. And I found that interesting. And that gave me a reason to fly away from uh, from the locality, mm. to go to other places. And yes, then, you know, you do get to see some interesting things uh, on the route. But it did give me a reason to actually fly. And that's what I enjoyed, I think, the most. And that was the biggest takeaway for me. And I was so involved in the task of what I was doing. It just took me miles away from the airfield. And uh, <laughs> and, and I had a great time doing it. Did you feel that um, the actual flight window, you were allowed the three hours, did it feel like three hours when you were doing all these tasks? No, not particularly. <laughs> it's um, I think it went really, really quickly. But I always get that feeling. Do you get that feeling when you fly? You think, right, I've had enough now. That's uh, that's as much as I've had. I'm going to come down. I'm going to land, and then when I land, I think, why did I land? I always do that, you know. I think I want, to, back up I want to be back in the air. Now I've got to, you know, now I've got to set up and if I want to go again. But but anyway, that kind of that's the preparation. What what day did you head down to the championship, Dan? Uh, cool. It seems so long ago. It was only like a week ago. I think I'm pretty sure it was uh, on the Tuesday. Um, just so I could potentially get a bit of like practice flight in. It's always nice once you get there just to have one flight in and, and just get yourself settled and have a little look around the area and stuff. I know that um, Benny, the um, the German uh, national champion um, and also previous winner of the, of the Open, you know, very good pilot. He um, was, I believe, he came across on, on the Saturday, um, spent two or three days flying the whole area, you know, um, 
and that's you know that's the extent that some some pilots will go to um i would love to have got down earlier but i had work commitments and it, it does make sense to know the area because it makes navigation a little bit easier but actually once you're on a task you know it's, you're pretty much following a line anyway so it's it's not too dissimilar where you go um yeah tuesday was the day i came down yeah yeah so i i did the same as well i came down tuesday night and um there was a flying window tuesday evening um i think people had, had got there earlier i i was at work till monday we got up to to set off at about nine o'clock on the Tuesday. I got away a little bit late because we'd got a bit of preparation to do uh, with the motorhome and everything. And mm. we got down there about six o'clock, and and it was a beautiful flying window in in the evening. But I was so tired from the journey and just so enthralled to be there, seeing everything going <laughs> on that. I just decided to have a beer instead. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah, that was that was my Tuesday. So I didn't even go to the brief. Somebody said, "Oh, there's a there's a brief about flying, you know, f- sort of flying on a non-competition day because there, there, there was rules mm. as well because you know, there's 70 pilots down there. You can't have everybody at the airfield just bimbling off for fun without some structure and some rules and Barney yeah. had set those out um which was which was very fair and I missed the brief I couldn't be bothered somebody said oh it's down there now and I thought well I've just opened a bottle of beer and I'm gonna I'm <laughs> gonna stay here and chill out and so um but you went for a flyer take it so again that's a competition mentality mm. versus the non-competition mentality you got yourself out there on the Tuesday, is that right? Well, I suppose it's whichever way you look at it, Sean. You know, if you if you settle yourself in by having a beer and a sit down and, and sort of chilling out, you know, that's fine. But like, I find that I've got like a lot of energy that's sort of pent up. Like I just need to sort of burn off by going for a flight and actually feeling like, oh yeah, I can actually fly. You know, I need to <laughs> need to remind myself that actually I can pull a wing up and, and taxi and take off. You know, it's it's a I don't know what it is, but I just. For some reason, I'm like, God, this is going to be really difficult. But actually, it's um, once you, you've done it, you, you're like, ah, oh, yeah, everything's going to be okay. Well, that, yeah. that was my greatest fear because I thought, look, everybody's going to be watching me. There's that fat dude over there who breaks props and, and never gets off the ground. <laughs> and I thought, I'm going to get there and there's going to be a crowd going, there he is now. Let's watch him break his prop. <laughs> and I remember my, my, my first flight from there, which wasn't on the Tuesday. I was like thinking, oh, fucking hell, I hope nobody's watching. And people clearly were, because Rick was commenting on my takeoffs and things like that. I thought, people have been mm. watching me. But <laughs> but that was my, my greatest fear was I was going to launch my wing and it was going to come down badly and get minced in the prop and everybody was going to be saying, oh, that fat useless sod, sod over there. But that, that was a Tuesday anyway. So I um, had a chill out, had a few beers, and Wednesday was a non-competition day the next day as well. But it was forecast to be a flyable window. And there was flying in the Wednesday morning and the Wednesday afternoon. And Did you fly any of those? Yes, yeah. Any Any chance that I could get out and do... Uh, any sort of flying I, I did so yeah on the, on the Tuesday night managed to just get up and have like a sort of relaxing flight and then the Wednesday I planned a couple of tasks so I went out and flew a few challenging tasks so I, I had a declared time and a constant speed that I did with sort of curves and, and navs because this year that Barney's actually his tasks were a bit more taxing there was less of them but they were more challenging to to pitch people closer together so i sort of had an, an idea that it was going to get a bit tougher from his earlier brief in the month so yeah set myself a couple of tricky tasks to do and um nailed both of those and 
yeah, sort of reset set me um, up for a good stead and yeah, remind myself right. that yeah, I can do it. Yeah, what about you? Did you fly on the Wednesday at all? Yeah, yes, absolutely. So again, at a lower level. So what I did is is Wednesday because I'd missed the brief on the Tuesday. Barney very kindly agreed to do a quick one-to-one brief. I was given a map, uh, which I covered in Fablon. Well, we're given two maps, and one map was a blown-up map of the airfield. There's a couple of no-fly zones, as you know, on, on one of the gates, on the south gate, and a lot of instruction about not flying over those and, and the fact that the airfield still is operated. There was some foot-powered aircraft wasn't there and, and some other activity, helicopter activity going on. So, yeah. So it gave us a bit of a brief, so I, I, I'd got my blown-up map, and then there was a smaller map that gave the general area for you to be able to fly, fly around in. And So I, on the morning, for the exact reason that you said before, just to remind yourself you can fly in to get that first flight out of the way, I basically launched, took off, circled the airfield, got to about 500 feet, caught my engine and did a spot landing, and that was my, that was my morning flight. That to me was exactly that. Remind yourself you can fly. Get that fear out of my way that I was going to do my first launch and, and mince the prop and everybody would be clapping and cheering and got that out of the way. So that was the morning. I came down then feeling, yes, I am a pilot and, and, and I can fly a paramotor. And then we had the uh, the evening window and, and I did similar to Adrian. So again, Adrian, who came 10th, I don't think he did any more and, and, unless he just didn't tell me about it at the time. But I did basically what Adrian did and, and in the afternoon, all I did was take off, fly through again the, the southern gate and then it's a large um, route around the no-fly zone. I say large, it's not that large, but I did a few miles, come round in a, in a circle going west and then north and and then circling back round coming in through the in gate and then I did another spot landing and landed on the airfield so I think it was about a 20 25 minute flight I don't know something like that and then landed on the field and that was then just to um, cut my teeth then a bit on flying a little bit away from the airfield and and in a different area and also getting a grasp of the sights they were the, the thing that amazed me is the they see everywhere. You can't you can't navigate by the coast because <laughs> it's all coastline, isn't it? Down it's there. everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> lovely bit of area to fly around, though. It's um, really nice. Yeah, it was it was beautiful, um, and it was nice, and it was just interesting to see a, a different area. I've never flown in that part of the world at all, and certainly not on a paramotor. And so yeah, so I, I came down then thinking, oh, this is this is all right. I can I can do this and I'm ready to start the championship. So Good. that was kind of the Wednesday afternoon's flight. But we had the uh, the briefing to come, didn't we, on, on the Wednesday uh, evening yes. quite late. Yes. So uh, nine o'clock? Yeah, nine, nine o'clock brief. Um, and I believe Barney puts it at that sort of time so people can come from work and, uh, you know, have the time to get there and, and, and actually be in that brief because that brief is like the one and only. You have to definitively be at that one just so you get all the, yes. all the safety and everyone's on the same page. Yeah, that's right. So they had the main brief. There had been another brief by teams, um, hadn't they? I forgot about yes. that the, the week before, and it was uh, just to give some information and to answer a few questions, and that was very useful. I mean, Barney recorded that so people not actually at that team's meeting were able to watch it. But yes, that was the brief. So it was the official opening of the of the championship. That was really exciting. Um 
first ever trike class. 70 pilots, record number of pilots that had entered, mm. and then, of course, some thanks uh, for all the sponsorship uh, that had gone on. They got quite a lot of sponsors this year, so that was really good to see yeah. the industry actually investing in the championships. That was that was very good because that's that's needed too. And then he gave us the maps. I knew what to expect. Four A3 printed maps on paper with the tasks drawn on them. And I'll tell you the first thing that I noticed with those mm. tasks was just how fine those bloody lines were on the map. I couldn't read them. <laughs> I'm saying to Adrian, I was sat with Adrian Southgate, said, can you see those lines? Because I can't see them. And uh, he's like, oh, yeah, mate. He says, you need to get yourself a highlighter and uh, and highlight the lines. So, uh, yeah. I went from there then, so we, we finished the brief, it was quite late, and we went back then with uh, with four maps held in a hand, with some great news, and the great news was, oh guys, um, the flying window tomorrow morning is going to be closed, because cause it's raining, it's forecast rain, and I was like thinking, yes, thank God for that, because it's about half past ten at night now, I've got these four maps to mm. cover, and I've got a bit of route planning to do, I could do with the morning in bed, so uh, so that was good news, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I always like a lion, Sean. I just uh, I don't like going to bed, and I don't like getting up. <laughs> exactly. So I, I was back in the motorhome then, trying to fab on these maps on the dining table, the little dinette in the motorhome. All the um, you know the the competition keen. The, you were there, weren't you? Stayed like a girly SWAT, covering your map and everything in the uh, <laughs> in the briefing tent and stuff. But we were up quite late that day. But thank goodness we didn't have to fly the next morning, eh? Yeah. It's um, it's always a bit of a late one on the, on the after the first briefing because, like you say, you got you got to get the map stuck together and and sorted really, and um, it's it's quite quite a bit of a technique to get them done quickly. Um, I mentioned Benny earlier. He's um, he's practiced and practiced that he can get his done within like. 15 20 minutes it's quite impressive to watch actually but yeah nowadays i think he uh hides himself away whilst he does that so no no one else can get his uh techniques but um we had a few less pages this year so we only had four a3s um instead of the uh six we had last year so it made it a little bit easier well, that, that's good. There was a guy, I know you and Rick sat down, Rick had got his handbag out with all his pencils in it, didn't he? And um, you you were sat at the table sorting out your roots and things. There was a guy just at the side of you who was covering his with Fablog, got a really interesting technique, sticking his maps together uh, in one giant map and then cover them all in Fablog. And I actually went back and did that. I made a, an awesome job. I had to borrow two highlighters from Adrian Southgate to highlight all the mm. um, all the very faint lines. I coloured in with a different colour all the turn points for the extra points and then uh, stuck the maps together, trimmed the white off with some scissors, you know, because there's always a white border on the printout. Yeah. And stuck them all together. And I'll tell you, I made an amazing job. I'm so proud of my map. It's like a trophy <laughs> itself. It's going to go in my empty trophy cabinet. Yeah. But I was up till about one o'clock in the morning. What time did you get to bed? Ooh, I think it was probably about two, half two, something around that. Yeah, after I yeah. looked at the map. Because, I, you know, I always th then you can run a few scenarios in your mind whether you're going to get a two-hour window, a three-hour, or five, five-hour, you know, to fly. Um, so you can yes. really start to, to look at where... Op where you can optimize your route and what turn points you can get um also what options you've got when you get back closer and you've got like 15 minutes left of flying you know it's um yeah there's there's a lot of um ways you can plan and, and prep your maps um but like you're saying with with the highlights is definitely the best way to go and um 
I've learnt, learnt something again this year about my highlighting and map prep is that the highlighters that I've got um, will bleach themselves off in the sun. So after oh, yeah. the first day of flying, I came back and I was like, <laughs> oh, I missed that turn point and that turn point. And that, but actually, once you unfolded the map, the other side of it, the there yeah. was still the colour on there. It's just the sun had bleached, bleached off my, my things. So I need some better highlighters, I think, Sean. <laughs> yeah, interesting learning points. I, I didn't have that problem with mine, but I, I got a couple of this Daedler, are they, or whatever, from um, Adrian. Adrian gave me two. He bought the proper one, like, yeah. you know, like a big <laughs> bonus pack. I actually found highlighting it harder than, than you read. It's like to keep the line in the centre of the mm. highlight mm. because roughly the width of the highlight is is roughly the width of the gates, Yeah, which is 150 metres, is it, the gates? So you've got to kind of fly 75 metres each side of the track to be sure you're through the gates. 125 each side and then 250 total. Uh, yeah, apologies <laughs> for that. But I actually found that quite difficult. It's like as you're going on these curves, I found my line was wobbling up and down. So um, yeah. it took a bit of time and effort, but... Uh, but yeah, I was up till gone one o'clock and bearing in mind that we'd been told we weren't flying the next morning, but there was a, always a possibility because these things are forecasts and Barney did say, look, you know, for the very remote chance we're going to fly tomorrow morning, <laughs> he'll send us a text at 6.30. So for me, I took that as no flying in the morning. I guess for the competition people, you took that as there's a chance we could be flying in the morning and mm. I need to get route planned. What did you plan to do with that possible window then if it had to be an open from 7 while 12, was it, they were talking? Yes, yes. So it was going to be three hours worth of flying. And this year, because of the, the Discovery Challenge being combined with the, the club pilot class, the sort of the learning class for the, for the guys who, you know, it's their first ever comp, everyone actually had access to three tasks that were very close by and they were all the the different type of nav tasks so we had um the declared the constant speed and the, and the snake task so actually within the three hours you could crack around those three uh, and get it done and the thing was was that there was quite a windy forecast so you didn't actually know whether we were going to get any more navigation throughout the weekend you know so it was a case of what's going to give me the most points in the quickest amount of time by doing that as many tasks as I can and then collecting some turn points as well. So I actually did the, the closest ones first because uh, we were, we flew in the evening of Wednesday, didn't we, in the end? I planned to um, do the declared because it was right out of the, the timing gate and then straight into the constant speed because they finished very close together and then finished off with the snake and then some turn points as well. So really, you would have planned to do that the opposite way around to what yes. I did because... The winds were calmer later on, but I, I wanted to know that I was going to get potentially full points on the constant and de declared because I knew they were harder tasks. Yes. And I wanted to get them done and out of the way early. And then actually the snake, because it's a bit of an easier task, more people would probably would have gone for that task. So they probably would have scored um, full points anyway. And then actually if I was not going to be able to finish that task, the snake task within the actual flying window, I could have cut it short closed the task off, collected some turn points and then got back and actually still scored some points on it that way. Whereas with the constant speed um, and the declared, if you cut them tasks short, you end up losing quite a significant amount of points. So yeah, it was the toss up between that really. So yeah, I plan to do those, those three tasks that are quite close in. Just a quick recap then for people who don't know much about competitions. 
when it comes to navigation tasks, there's some tasks done at the airfield, some some uh, things like spot landing, but this is general navigation tasks. And there's basically three tasks plus some bonus points. And the first task is the snake task. And you are given an accurate line that's drawn like a snake, like snakes and ladders across the map. <laughs> and the idea is you flying through the gate of that. That's the first point where you have to fly over. And you have to accurately follow that snake, which is a curve line that, that wiggles up and down and you have to fly through the exit gate now to assess whether you've flown that accurately they are what's called hidden gates so those are points that have been preset by the uh, the organizers that they will make sure you've flown over to try and accurately gauge that you've flown the task accurately so you've got to fly that line accurately to know you've picked up all the gates and every gate you pick up you pick up points that's a snake task You've also got the constant speed task, which is where you have to fly a preset route, which are straighter lines, I believe, aren't they? Sometimes, yeah. Yeah, sometimes. But you have to fly at a constant speed. So you've got to decide what speed you'll be flying each leg of this task, bearing in mind that the winds can be variable and they're coming from different directions. And you've got to try and assess what the wind's going to be at the time that you do them. So that's the constant speed, and you have declared time task, which is very similar, but you have to declare the time you're going to arrive at the certain waypoint, again, on a preset task. In seconds. <laughs> In seconds, and it's up to five seconds, something like that, so you've got to be pretty accurate. Yeah. And the final, the bonus points, is there were something like a 100 what's called turn points. So these are little points, little things, little features on the map, which have circles around them. And if you fly over one of those outside of a task, so you fly into a gate of a task, out of a gate of a task to close the task. But if you're not on a task, you can fly over these turn points and you collect points. And depending on the distance from the airfield, they'll have one, two or three circles around them. The three circle tasks obviously collect more points than the one circle one because they're further away. So those are basically the tasks that were being dealt with. On the competition map for that day, there was two of each, 100 turn points and two of each of the tasks. So one of each closer to the airfield and one of each further away from the airfield. Mm. So those are the tasks that were set. And you, you decided to do three of the tasks that were the closest to the airfield on that first day. I chose that uh, my plan was I was going to fly and pick up a few turn points just to get the practice. And then if I was feeling confident, I was going to go into the snake task. That was my plan, bearing in mind that I didn't think I was going to be flying the next morning because the weather was going to be rainy and we were told that we would most likely not be flying. Mm. But at about 6.37 the next morning, because I'd drunk rather a lot of cider and beer the night before, I was woken up by my bladder, probably for about the fourth time that night, but this time was 6.37, I remember the time well, and as I was squinting and making my way into the motorhome toilet, I looked at my phone... <laughs> And we'd had a text message from Barney. What did it say, Dan? Uh, flying windows open, I think, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> flying windows open, briefing at 7 o'clock. And I was like, I'd just woke up to go to the toilet, not to get up. So we had to uh, we had to make our way down to the briefing tent to have a briefing and, uh, and to be told that we were going to be flying. So uh, I was feeling pretty sorry for myself at that point. I was feeling a little bit tired and uh, a little bit thick-headed. I mean, I wasn't 
you know, I didn't drink excessively the night, be- night before, but I did have a few beers just to help myself uh, sleep well. Hmm. How was you feeling that morning then, knowing we were going to be flying after you were up till about half past two? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of the risk you take. I think, wasn't it the Friday we flew in the morning and then the Thursday we flew in the evening? Friday morning was the windy morning when you was going to puke. <laughs> All right, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Sorry, I was just, yeah. Yeah, that's right. So we, we, we went to the briefing then, 7 o'clock, didn't we? And all the way through that briefing, we were told we were going to be flying. But I got, my app was telling me it was going to rain in nine minutes. I was using my willy, my willy weather. And uh, I'm sat looking at that thinking, please rain, please rain. And I bet you were sat there thinking, please don't rain, please don't please rain. Please don't rain, yeah. Well, it's, you know, when you've put a lot of time and effort into planning your tasks and then for it to be changed and at the last minute, you know, but everyone's in the same boat, though. It's um, yeah. But having been up uh, late the, the night previous, it, it, you know, you are tired and it, it's not really a great way to start off a comp, you know, if you can get your map sorted and, and done quite quickly. Yes. Probably pays to get to bed early and then get up really early and then plan and, and be ready for that. So Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. And again back to competition mentality. Guess if you if you're in it to win it, you've got to be there, you've got to be keen, you're not gonna be sleeping, you might be getting up earlier than what you expect. You've got to get there on task and, and the guys and girls, uh, were there any girls there? I did see a couple of girls with in paramotors, but I didn't know they were flying in the competition. Unfortunately, we didn't have any female pilots this year. Um, we have in the past, but yeah, paramotoring has, has become like more more accessible to to women. One because of weight, but also like the the stigma against it as well. You know, it's sort of being broken down a bit more now, and yeah. it's great to see more female pilots. But maybe the competition scene is the is the next step that needs to be sort of broken down. That you know, there has been very successful female pilots. Um, no doubt, look at Marie yeah. Mateos from from France. You know, um, multi time winner of, of trophies. You know, extremely good pilot and. And yeah. Well, my wife was very keen as a, as a spectator. She was like, "Are there any women pilots here? Are there any women pilots?" So I think there's definitely spectatorship there. Uh, and you're right; it's something that needs to be broken down. There, there, there are a lot of female paragliding pilots. I'm I'm, I'm mm. surprised there's you know there's not more with a paramotor. I I think it's a bit of a fallacy about the weight of a paramotor. I've heard people say that before, but yeah, okay, a lot of ladies, not all of them, are slight and less strong, possibly. But then so are you, Daniel. And you managed to fly a paramotor with an atom 80. So, <laughs> so I, I don't see it so much as a problem. If, if you're lighter and you're slimmer, you're just going to have lighter gear. There are some light paramotors out there. And if not, then there's the trike. Get yourself in a trike. That's yeah. what I say. And uh, give us uh, guys flying trikes a, a run for our money. I'd very much like to see it. And I also think from in my wife's perspective, who I try to get into paramotoring a bit because that serves me. If my wife's got an interest in it, I get to do a lot more flying and see a lot more events and mm. things. But she was very keen. She was like, there's a woman over there. She sat in a paramotor. Is she flying? I said, I don't know. I don't know, you know. <laughs> so that would kind of be cool. But anyway, where where were we? We got sidetracked there on, on Thursday morning. We've been rudely awoken. We had been rudely awoken. <laughs> I was sat there praying for this rain. My my app was saying rain. First of all, it said rain in nine minutes, and then it's updating to rain in three minutes now. And I was saying to Adrian, it's going to rain. It's going to rain. And I'm like, yes. Yeah. And I'm looking at Barney thinking, come on, Barney, look at your weather app. And then as we were leaving the tent at seven o'clock, it started to rain. And I'm like thinking, yes. And by the time I got back to the motorhome, it was 
it's all over, guys. We're not flying. And and my wife said, are you going then? Mm. I said, no, thank God. I said, I'm going to get back to bed. So we went back into the motorhome then in the morning. But I did feel a little bit, because I was thinking, I only want it to rain for an hour or so, just till I've had a coffee and I've woken up and I've got my game face on, you know. And it takes longer to get your game face on at my age. Dad. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, I've got my game face on and then I'll be out there keen. Yeah. But it didn't stop bloody raining, did it? No, we had we had a decent amount of rain on um on the Thursday. Yeah, I, re- I remember it was um it was going to be a nav window, and then it t- it was brief to be a um spot landing into Skittles, wasn't it? Um, good good way to start a competition off early, you know. Not many people have flown, and then straight into the the tasks that require you to be pretty much on your game. It's yeah. um yeah, it's, it sort of separates out out the people who have really really practiced it, I suppose. But, yeah, uh, absolutely. The yes. men from the boys, as they say, in uh... well, yeah, as they say. Um, but it was yeah a bit relieving actually to um to have a lion after having um having stayed up quite late. But you know that is competition. You know you you once you've done it a few times, you come to expect to be ready at, at any possible chance as you will get into uh, throughout this uh, podcast absolutely but what seemed to happen then during the course of that day we're on thursday first competition day it was raining the whole morning but what i noticed was Mm. as the rain started to die the wind started to get up and early evening about six o'clock i think was it something like i can't remember the exact time five five thirty six the clouds broke the rain went but the winds were starting and i noticed it started to get a little little bit gusty nothing major Mm. but they hadn't been much in the way of wind I don't think prior to that but we did at about six o'clock get up somewhere around about that time for the first task which was a navigation task and everybody came out so Dan what did you do in the end did you did you do as you'd planned to do all three of those tasks and how did you feel that that they went yeah yeah so I I actually did this the same sort of plan but I had to replan um for, for the different wind conditions because obviously it, it now changed um, but it looked like it was dropping off at the end of the evening yep went with the, the same plan of, of getting the uh, declared and the constant speed done nice and early so I definitely knew that they were tasks that I was going to hopefully score quite well on um, and, and then cracked on and, and did the snake you know in terms of the declared task it felt really good I was on on my times um, to the second actually I think I was pretty much um, two seconds out then five and then 11 maybe then back down to two again and then and then five for the last one so yeah really really close on to those those timings constant speed I actually messed up my constant speed planning like an oversight really the, the constant speed after that declared had four straight legs I believe which is which is great it's it's nice and easy one to fly constant speed at because you just set your trims and you just maintain yourself as level as you possibly can and the and the you know you your wing will take care of the rest really but there was a curve section in that constant speed that i had planned as you would do as a declared time so actually i was out on my timings for that and and it did drop me drop me down a few few places in in terms of how else everyone else had done because um the points were normalized for this um competition so it was your score against the best um score against whoever scored it yeah so actually i i messed up my calculations for that um luckily it didn't hinder me too much um it dropped me two or three places i believe from from a top position but um yeah what well, from there I had enough time to collect a few turn points and then went and did the snake and the beauty of the snake is that because it's not time you can fight as fast or as slow as you want so if you are running out of time you can speed up if you've got a bit of time you can take a bit more time and definitely get those hidden gates so yeah flew that yes. around mid trim and then collected a few more turn points on the way back yeah it was um 
a good run and yeah felt like it was a good start to the comp so just to explain there so that constant speed the idea is to fly constant speed which is calculatable uh calculable calculatable if you uh know the speed of your wing and you know the wind speed but that's easy on on a leg so if you know if you're flying north and the wind's coming from the north and your wing does 30 miles per hour and the wind's 10 miles per hour your constant speed's going to be 20 miles per hour it's that simple but if you're flying a curve the wind is going to change as you fly around that curve so you might be doing a constant speed of 20 miles per hour as you set off onto that curve. But as you turn and that wind becomes a crosswind, your constant speed will increase to 30 miles per hour. So how do you overcome that? Are you having to uh, to pull in your trims as you're flying around that curve? What do you, what do, you do, Dan? What's your strategy? Yeah, so ex- exactly that, Sean. So whenever I plan um, for declared time, is um, you plan for sort of mid-trim um, speed. And actually, I've... I've I plan a little bit less than, than the middle of the speed range because you can always slow up a little bit more and you can put in some small less turns and burn off some time. Whereas actually speeding up is a lot harder because you've only really got going as straight as you can and speed bar um, and whatever extra bit of trim you've got left. So um, I always plan a little bit less than the mid trim. And then, yeah, if, you, if you're on the on the angle that's, that's going to increase your speed for, for that, then... Yeah, trim in and then just, just follow your um, your markings on your map that you've put on for your times, really. And if you're a bit fast, then obviously you can apply a bit of brake, slow yourself down a bit more. Um, if you're really that badly out, then you can put in a little less turn, um, as long as you're not going beyond 90 degrees, which gets into backtracking territory. And uh, if anyone's ever been to any competitions in the past, you know there's usually lengthy exchanges about backtracking yes. rules and stuff like that. Yeah, you can always slow yourself down a bit more than you can um, speed yourself up. So That curve presents quite a challenge, I think, because you go from uh, very simple vector calculations, if you like, to, to far more complex calculations because you're changing that trim as you go round. So that curve does present more of a planning challenge and a technical challenge as well which is why I chose not to do that task, certainly not as, as my first task. My strategy was, was much simpler. And, it, and again, this is coming from the perspective of somebody doing this for the first time. So anybody out there who is thinking about doing this, this, this was my strategy. And my strategies were more about learning than they were about winning. And the first strategy that I had, being less prepared than some people might have been, was... First of all, to hit the exit gate, and I remember that we'd done all that flying before, and I said all that, I'd had a couple of flights beforehand. We'd all flown out the southern gate, but on the afternoon, the Thursday afternoon, when we went to do the first nav task, the wind had switched. So we actually flew out of the gate, which is a little bit northwest, and we had to fly out of that gate, and, and you don't fly directly out of it. You kind of take off from the airfield, and then you have to hang left swing left, come round and go through the out gate. So my strategy was to to collect that gate because if you don't fly through the gate, you lose 20% of your points. And it's to fly out of that gate and to pick up turn points. And because the turn points is just getting in your navigation, looking at the map, following where you are, because you're using an ordnance survey map, you've got no GPS navigation, you're following roads, railways, looking for major landmarks. Uh, with some idea, with a compass you're allowed to use of your uh, your heading and knowing a little bit about wind and things like that. You should have an idea of where you are, but basically it's about ground to eye, looking at the uh, 
at the ground and then looking at your map and not getting yourself lost because you need to know where you were two minutes ago. That's right, probably even 30 seconds ago. So the idea for me was let's pick up some of these turn points and I'll get that dialed in. If I have you know half an hour of that, I'll get more accurate. And then what I'll do is I'll swing around and I'll come to do the snake task because the snake task is similar. You know, you're following the curve of that snake, but you're navigating accurately now that you know how to, you know, look for crossroads and churches and railways and things like that and, and make sure you keep yourself on track. That was my strategy, but that's not what actually happened because uh, I had a couple of things happen on that flight. A couple of things happened. There was a couple of things that, that kind of got in the way. The first thing was... I'm not even sure, and we'll talk about why, whether I hit the gate or not, because um, some of my memory is a little bit foggy, because I think when you're on the task itself, you you don't seem to retain that long-term memory. You're just focusing on the task. Mm. And I flew out, and the first issue that I had, because when you're doing this, you're you're trimmed out, your hands aren't on the brakes, I don't have a reflex wing, so you still you still uh, actively fly with the brake if you if you need to do. So I was uh, having to have my hands on my map using weight shift to try and steer to steer my wing. But I had a small issue in that at cruise I still have a gentle left hand turn. I set up at cruise speed, keeping straight and level with my trims out, and I'm still just drifting towards the left. So. I knew that from the flight that I'd had before. So the first thing that I wanted to do was uh, adjust my trims so that I'd got a straight level flight at cruise. And by the time I'd kind of got it nailed in, because there's a bit of that trial and error, because I hadn't prepared, by the time I got that dialed in, I'd headed north. I was nearly over the sea. And um, I remember seeing there was a town coming up and thinking, actually, I'm not even at height that I need to be to be above this town. So I, I kind of got it figured out then, got the trim set right, and then uh, steered left and, and swung round to try and pick up the, my first turn point. I knew where I was, though. That was cool at that stage. Uh, the first error was an error in preparation of the map. So these are my learning points. And... What I'd done is, when I'd actually prepared my map, before you fable on it, I, as I said, I'd use a highlighter. With orange highlighter, highlighted all the turn points. There was a giveaway turn point just outside the gate on a motorway. So all you had to do was fly down that motorway. I don't know what that road It's not a motorway, is it? But it's a major road. And, or is it a motorway? Yeah. And, and you just had to fly down that major road just outside the gates ping you pick up the first turn point and i hadn't highlighted it and i didn't realize till later i'd missed it because i didn't know it was there and that that was that was an easy easy point to pick up so what i did is i went out picking up these turn points and i was feeling terribly confident at first i found the 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 first five or six and i was kind of getting the gist of things but i was struggling because I was trying to navigate these turn points by thinking, what is this turn point? Is it that little kink in the road? Is it where that field, the edge of that field, lines up with the road? And major lesson number one was take your reading glasses. That was that was my first lesson because I didn't realise till I got back down and I borrowed the wife's glasses that all these turn points were over something, like a church. There was a little symbol underneath them. 
And if had I known that, this is the, uh, the you know, the, the six P's that they say, the prior preparation prevents piss poor mm-hmm. performance. Uh, if I'd have known that, I'd have just been heading to the church. And I was actually, I mean, I was doing bloody well. I was navigating by really picking out where, yeah. I, where, where the fields were and things like that, finding that part of the road. So I did that for about six or seven turn points, and I was feeling tremendously confident, and then I got lost. Mm-hmm. I'd gotten no idea, and I don't know how I'd done it. I'd, I'd seen the turn point that had come over, and I know I'd nailed that one. I mean, it was, a, it was a giveaway. It was between two pieces of wood right at the side of a lake, and I could see exactly where it was, and I just flew straight over that one. Mm. After that, I was completely lost, and I was looking at this map thinking, there's a triangular lake down there. I can see it on the ground, and it's not on the bloody map. I can't see it anywhere. And I got completely and hopelessly lost. And what I notice is once you lose where you are, it suddenly becomes difficult. Yes. And the choices at that stage are you reorientate yourself over something, possibly over the previous turn point. This is what Mike Chilvers recommended. Hmm. Or you try and reorientate yourself. I had a better plan than that. My plan was, let's go home. (laughs) (laughs) And, and the, I, I mean, I'd been out uh, over an hour at that point and not many turn points in, in an hour, but I think I'd been out about an hour at that point. And, and what I mean by getting lost is I wasn't lost, so I don't know where the airfield is. You know, it was, it's fairly easy to navigate. And this is the lesson for me, being a, uh, a light aircraft pilot as well. When you fly in light, light aircraft, you fly headings, but you don't really fly the headings because most of us are flying in visual flight uh, conditions. You uh, you know what your heading is, and um, you'll pick you'll pick an object, a power station, mm. or a town, or something in the distance that's fairly major, and then you just fly towards that, and it's easy. You keep the right track. So flying back was easy because all I had to do is lift my head up. Then look ahead. I knew from the map that I'm heading towards Manston. I knew it was in roughly in that direction that I was going northeast on my compass, and all I had to do was fly northeast towards that major town, and then eventually you saw the runway of the airfield, and it was very, very easy. But flying from turn point to turn point is a completely different skill, and it's difficult to explain how much more difficult that is when you've never done it before. So I decided to, um, to have the coward's option, but I did this really desperate thing. So as I was flying back, I've already decided now I'm going back, so I'm heading northeast. But I'm also looking at turn points from the area that I think I, I was at to the area that I'm going, knowing roughly where I'm traveling, thinking there's a couple of turn points here. And then I was randomly just steering over objects I thought <laughs> might have been this turn point, thinking yeah. I, might, I might just get lucky and pick up an extra point. It was a really... When I, when I think about the mentality on the way back, it wasn't even like I was thinking, let's find that turn point. It was like, well, this could be it. There's a railway there. There's a railway on here. Let's just fly over that. And that was it. So I had about an, uh, an hour and 20 minutes. And when I came in, the, um, the wind had switched direction as well. It was, it was uh, more easterly when we came down as well. So, uh, so I had to f- fly back in through the southern gate and then turned right turned over in, the airfield. Yeah. yeah, yeah, turned in and things. But that was my experience of that day. Anything, anything else happened for you on that day? So for me, it was it was quite an an uneventful flight. You know, it's 
I, I was pretty happy with, with how it went. It wasn't um, as challenging as the next day was, so I was pretty happy with, with what I'd done. But like you're saying, with, with flying between turn point, Sean, it's like, it is it is another skill set. And, and I was just thinking then that, you know, I've, I got lost uh, maybe twice, twice this time, uh, only briefly, but both times I was a little bit lower than sort of a good navigating height. And I think it sort of plays into effect. You were saying you were, you were a little bit lower as well on part of your flight, but if you're about a thousand feet, you you can really see a, a significant amount more than say if you're about six hundred foot. You know, it's um. Oh. So if you if you're getting lost, try climbing a bit. You know, you can see a lot more. But yeah, Let orientate me yourself. <laughs> I think I've always said it, mate. You know, like, it's a thousand feet. You know, but but like you know, if you can orientate yourself on the major things. So like you know, we had Canterbury nearby, and and obviously there's the sea and stuff. You can then narrow that back down into oh there's that bit of woodland there's that plantation there's the railway okay i'm I'm here now and you can really work yourself out that way but also flying so you've got three points of reference every time you're moving along your yeah. desired track you know is, is also a good good point to say that like oh, i'm definitely here you know because i i have come across in in the past you know where i've been flying and i'm like 100 percent i'm absolutely at this point on the map but actually, I've been like 200 meters off the other way where there's a road that looks identical. It was just like a few different houses being in different places that separated the two, you know. So it's you definitely need to look at more than just where you're going. It, it is a skill. You're right. It is, it is a challenge. And But once you start getting that, it's then don't come become complacent so you fall into your own traps, you know. <laughs> well, I, I I definitely think it had a lot to do with it. So I was flying a lot of it at seven and 800 feet, which turned out to not be seven or 800 feet because another learning point, the so first one was take your reading glasses. The second reading point is when you have a new altimeter, I got that uh, micro Alto 2, is it? Uh, the tiny uh, little the, thing? The Fairhaven. Fairhaven, that's the one. Micro yeah. Alley, yeah. Yeah, yeah, which is, uh, which is a great thing. But what I didn't know, and perhaps I just didn't think about it hard enough because, you know, I was doing lots of new things at, at this stage, but you have to reset the height for that yourself. Mm. And I thought it automatically did it, you know, for, for height, um, if you're not flying QNH, and, and for height every time you switched it on. And... I didn't really check it, you know, I just made the assumption because it was brand new for me. I think I'd only done one flight with it beforehand and I was actually, I noticed when I got down to the ground, I was still at 150 feet, which meant I'd been flying 150 feet lower than what I thought, which I kind of suspected when I was flying over that microlite place because I thought, Jesus Christ, I'm, I'm, I'm flying towards that microlite field. And I'm fairly sure, looking at it, I'm sub-circuit height. And I remember thinking that because, you know, flying light aircraft and such like. Yeah, yeah, you get an eye for it. So I steered round it because I was going to climb and go over, over the top of it. But I thought, no, I'm, I, I don't feel like I'm doing that and I'm getting close to it. So I, I steered left of it and, and went round it before I picked up the next turn point. But yeah, I think height probably had a lot to do with it. I was probably flying too low which was a mistake but I wasn't concentrating hard on the height neither and another thing that I noticed I mean this is novice competition pilot stuff is that the bandwidth gets very very narrow it gets overloaded very quickly because there's lots of new things happening from having a a map table in front of you from not being able to touch your brakes at all really because you know you're concentrating on your map and everything Mm. and 
and trying to rely completely on on weight shift turning a, a map around on your knee as you're flying along and not losing where you're going concentrating on your next turn points where you are and then adding height to it and everything else there's a lot going on i think uh, at first and again this is a great learning point and this is what made it interesting and exciting for me it's you get too many things on board all at the same time and it's easier than you think for things not to go as well as what you planned yeah. not 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 to go well as in as in dangerous it was never that but not to do as well as what you think you're going to do and um lots of new things happening even just being over the new area and such like because you talk about orientating yourself over canterbury and that kind of stuff now when i'm flying in my local area i know where lincoln is i know where louth is mm. i know horncastle i know where skegness is you know and i know all those things from the air at any one time when i'm flying in my airplane I look and I know exactly where I am and where I'm heading. You know, even from the uh, from the Belmont Tower. You know, it's a great, it's a great feature here to be able to navigate from. But when you're over a new area, even like Canterbury, is that Canterbury or is that somewhere? You know, it's little things yeah. like that that pile that bandwidth on, and that's where the the learning comes in. And I remember Chile saying, and I think you've mentioned this in the past, that everybody who flies in the paramotor championships will come away a better pilot and i can see yeah. exactly why exactly why you know you these new skills and manage them all at the same time and things you never think of when you're flying in your local safe area that you know very very well suddenly you have all these new learning curves and things and you pile on enough learning curves and your bandwidth gets occupied very very quickly and i definitely felt that which is why when i decided to head home the reason I decided to head home is the bandwidth had been high for over an hour for me. Mm. And I was actually excited about getting back. <laughs> it's a difficult thing to explain, but I was buzzing with it when I was in the air. There were so many things, you know, and all this concentrating. It's like when I landed and I got back, I was so high. I can't explain that to other people <laughs> because I don't know. I think it's like these mountaineers, you know, when... You're climbing a mountain, it's difficult and it's challenging. And I, I used to do this when I was younger. And every time I climbed a mountain, I thought, I am never doing this again. <laughs> this is absolutely freaking horrendous, you know. And uh, But then the minute you've done it, oh, my God, I've got to do yeah. that again. And uh, and I was so looking forward to get back just to have that beer and to, to smile. <laughs> in fact, I was giggling when I got lost. Uh, I remember that when I was in the air. I was like thinking, I can't believe I'm lost. Here I am telling everybody I've been flying for 30 years and I've got no freaking idea which field I'm flying over at the moment. It's definitely a different type of flying, isn't it, Sean? And, and I remember, because whenever I've done competitions, I've, I've always recorded like on a head cow and, and taken a microphone with me. The last last time I was very quiet if I watched back my footage, you know, I'm obviously really concentrating. There wasn't much space to chat, chat at all, you know, but this time I did a bit more chatting and... Um, in one of my recordings i've i've said that you know i can't wait to like this is the first first day on the on the on the thursday evening i was saying that i can't wait to land and and have that chat with all the new pilots that have that have come because it's you know everyone's talking about yes. what they've done how well they did or you know what went wrong and and all the funny stories that come out of it and you know it's, it's you don't get that anywhere else okay you might get it at flying you know oh yeah that was really cool doing that but it's it's so much more specific and there's so much more detail to talk about because you are all flying pretty much the same task you know and and you can 
um yes, pinpoint yeah. you know certain certain points and go and talk about them and stuff so it's it's such a nice environment to be in and just like after that after that competition flying you know it's great you know i think it's a very salient point you're talking about sort of recording in the head cam uh, and again it's a bandwidth thing it's one of the reasons i don't actually have much footage of me flying recently even though i you know i have a youtube channel which relies on on good mm, footage yeah and it's because when i'm flying it's just there's that many other things that's going through my mind messing with that extra detail of the camera and the voice recording and things like that yeah it sometimes it's just it's just too much i find you know thinking about the battery when to start recording starting to try to talk to people and things like that and i did that with same with the competition so on the wednesday when i did the you know the mm. non-competition flight around the, i i videoed it i've got head cam footage of that and uh, a bit of audio recording which which wasn't the greatest anyway but in the competition i took the camera I took my audio recorder because I have a dedicated audio recorder now that I bought after a few audio issues and I took that and never used it because there was so much else going on. I never once thought to even start talking, to start <laughs> the recorder. I'd even got two cameras. I got another camera on my map table. Never even pressed that to switch it on. And I think that's a testament, you know, to the concentration on other things, isn't it? I think the only time you manage to get good vlogging footage is when you're really just chilling and about doing nothing and not having to think about much and um i think that was quite telling yeah it it does add like a, a huge amount more back it, it, it's the, every layer you add it seems to multiply the overall result um and it just it yeah it increases tenfold every time you add another layer it's definitely noticeable Okay, Daniel, let's stop it there, mate. We've been going on for a, for over an hour already. I think we're going to have to make this a two-parter. So thank you very much to everybody who joined us. Don't forget, check out part two of the Fat Paramotor podcast where you'll hear even more about competition shenanigans. And uh, um, thank you once again, Daniel. Thank you, mate. Until part two, eh? Yeah, until part two. It's been great speaking with you and uh, sharing the, the experience with the rest of the the guys out there sharing the competition love and joy thank you don't forget part two check it out soon 